0: You're listening to TIP.
1: On today's episode, we sit down with Eldonad Sharap, who is a serial entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience in technology, business, sales, and marketing. She is currently the CEO and founder of Royby, an investor-backed edtech company focused on early childhood education that recently raised $4.2 million in its seed round. Before starting Royby, Eldonad co-founded and led a consumer electronics IoT company, iBaby serving as the company's president. As an immigrant and female founder, Nas has made worthy accomplishments in a short duration living in the U.S. On today's episode, you'll learn how many pitch events or investor meetings does it take to raise capital? What is it like to raise 4.2 million on just an idea? Growing a hardware company, what struggles you might have to face? What are some of the limits to artificial intelligence and how the collection of data can help improve user experiences? This and much more on today's episode of Silicon Valley.
0: You are listening to Silicon Valley by The Investor's Podcast, where your host, Sean Flynn, interviews famous entrepreneurs
1: and business leaders in tech. Discover how money is made in Silicon Valley and where tech is going before it gets there. El Nas. Thank you for taking the time today to be on Silicon Valley.
0: Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'm really excited to talk with you today.
1: Now, Roby isn't your first startup. In fact, you had a very successful one before. Can you tell us a little bit about your past and what's led you to the current foundation of your new company?
0: Well, it was um, an interesting journey. About six years ago, uh, I was one of the co-founders of iBaby. Where we have baby monitors and we I totally remember when we launched the product, everybody was freaking out because we were the only baby monitoring company that didn't have the traditional display that is being used by parents to watch their, their children when, you know, when they're around the home. And we were the only company coming out with an app that you could basically watch over your loved ones or your baby anywhere around the world. So it was a very, very interesting journey. We we launched a product, got into all Apple stores. So it was so exciting. Everybody thought it's an Apple product. It took us five years. We launched into major retailers like Target, Walmart, and again, Apple, Best Buy, and many more around the world. And I spent over five years with parents learning more about what they want. And education was always something that would come up. And after a lot of research and because education is also really personal to me and I wanted to have a much bigger impact, we did a lot of research and finally I decided that I want to start Royby to have an amazing impact on children's lives and how it actually started. It was an interesting start because from the beginning it was a little bit different than what it is today.
1: Now, can you tell me what was it like to grow a hardware company?
0: It is really, really challenging because when you work on hardware, every component is super important. Like, for example, on Royby we have over 200 components in something really small. If you make a mistake on just one component, it's going to change everything. And especially that when you go towards molding, manufacturing, you really don't have the ability to make changes as easy as you do on the software and makes it a little bit scary, but also exciting because when you see the product in your hand, it's just a very, very special feeling.
1: Now, do you have engineer background yourself with machines or what was your background?
0: I have a very interesting background, I always say, because before moving to the U.S., I moved to the U.S. 13 years ago. Before that, I studied art and then transitioned to software engineering. I went to one of the top third uh, universities back in Iran. And I was always so interested to make the, the art come to life. And that's how I got into software engineering. I didn't finish because we moved to the U.S. And then here in the U.S., I decided to learn about multimedia development and The uh, interesting and funny part is what I do today, really nothing to do with what I studied, but it really helps me, honestly.
1: This whole process, did you always know you wanted to start a company?
0: Yes. It's interesting because I grew up with my dad and my dad is a businessman. He used to take me to, to his travels, you know, on business travels, and I was just a teenager. And he would always, Tell me to to watch, to learn, and he always wanted me to be strong. And because I grew up in a family that always ran businesses, I saw it that way. And my mom is also a very, very strong person. My role model. She ran all my dad's businesses. And that's I think how, you know, got me into starting my own business. Started a few before even iBaby, most of them failed. And I learned a lot of lessons. And then iBaby has been an amazing journey. And when I started it, he's my co founder and then led to Royby.
1: Tell me about some of these failures and some of the things you learned from them.
0: Uh, so many failures. We spent a lot of money on inventory that we, we were so excited. We thought, you know, we we're going to sell a lot of units and things change. Inventory was sitting there. It was um, like scary moments, a lot of also spending on, on marketing, advertisements. And unfortunately, until you, you really get placements and spend this money, you really don't know exactly what's gonna work. Again, it's a learning lesson, a uh, curve, I would say. And even in um, like people management, I personally gained a lot of experience. The mistakes I, I made before, I definitely wouldn't do again.
1: <laughs> when you're saying people management, What are some suggestions you might have for building a team from day one?
0: Every day, every company is different, but what I've learned is when you want to make a decision to hire somebody, first and foremost, you need to make sure that they have a lot of passion for the company and what you're doing. And then also making sure that you treat people and everybody like family member, because we are in the same boat together. It's one goal, one team, and you always need to make sure that people feel that way. So that's how we do it. Another challenge is a lot of times, you know, companies have remote staff members like us. A lot of our team members are in China. Communication, especially the gap, is is sometimes challenging. But at the end of the day, you need to trust people because you know, at least for me, I'm super selective. I take a long time to start working with somebody, trust them, let them make the decisions in their area of expertise. Ultimately, if things, something doesn't work out or goes wrong, still you, you can uh, work with your team to, to build it. We always say we have a special thing on our walls for the, for the company as a culture is We have the same goal. We need to help each other. Nobody can gossip behind anybody's back or complain. We don't take this, you know, and all it matters is help each other, move forward, fix the problems.
1: If a lot of your team is overseas in China, not only are you dealing with the time difference, there is that cultural difference as well. How does that play a part in with that team goal of everyone has the same outcome that they want?
0: We really try to communicate very clearly about the company's mission, the vision, and what the customers want, what the culture is within the U.S. and even globally. As I mentioned, we are, we are very selective. So far, the, the team members that we have in China, we actually did work together previously uh, through my uh, previous company. I've been lucky <laughs> because we already know each other. We, we know our working style. In order to grow the company, the the core team members, regardless where they are, you need to make sure that those people understand your vision. Those people can transfer that to the others that come on board later on.
1: At what stage should a company start thinking about going out to raise funds? We've just heard some amazing news about your company's success, which I'd love to talk about. But before we actually get to numbers, when did you start the fundraising journey?
0: six months after we started the company I, I started going around not necessarily being like super serious about fundraising I wanted to get feedback oh my god it was a crazy crazy time I think our pitch deck at least changed like 20 times got a lot of feedback but I would say to everyone uh, as soon as you have your idea and you know what you really want to do, you have a team behind it, some understanding of your business model, the product. Do start the the fundraising process. It's okay. You don't have to know everything in the beginning. And there's going to be, of course, a lot of changes um, in the process.
1: The feedback you were getting, was that just from investors, from angels, VCs, or from the general public?
0: We, we were getting a lot of feedback from all kinds of people, from mentors to advisors. We wanted to onboard a few customers, beta users, I would say. But a lot on, um, on the investor side, I had people saying, why do we even need this product? <laughs> Some people were super excited, very supportive. It was just that uh, we were not at a stage they would invest in, in the company, but all the feedback wasn't easy because when you are in the process of building a company, you really want to hear positive feedback. The other ones helped us to change our business model, even the product, and narrow down what we want to do. As an example, when we started, Brogby was any other probably product that would have a bunch of educational content to just entertain kids. Soon we realized that's really not going to work. With the feedback, we gradually narrowed down to language learning and we understood the market is huge. The opportunity is there. If it wasn't because of the feedback, we would have failed by now (laughs) because it was a really broad concept. But now we are in a much different place and better shape.
1: And were you getting feedback for the design of the robot itself or was it just more the software, the business model?
0: We're getting the feedback more on the business model, on how we want to scale, not necessarily on the, on the design. Everybody said, oh, it's very cute, <laughs> but we went through so many changes. More about, you know, sales strategy on, on the features of the product, what to start first, what to put next. So all those feedback were really helpful.
1: And how are you even getting these meetings with these investors considering you, at the time, doesn't sound like you were really a company yet?
0: Persistence. <laughs> I think I, uh, personally, I sent so many emails. I even lost the count. <laughs> Continuously telling people, can I have a meeting with you? And even they said no, it's like, okay, just a the feedback. <laughs> then we got to know uh, amazing people like yourself who were willing to make introductions, connect us to different people. First, I am truly, truly grateful because it helped us in so many ways. And then we have mentors gradually, then advisors join the team. That's how we got to know those people.
1: Thank you for that plug. That won't be edited out in the final version, I can assure <laughs> you. The mentors and advisors, how did you pick them? What did you offer them to convince them that to use their time for helping out Roby?
0: You know, in the beginning, it's really hard because a lot of people that join you as an advisor, really high level, they're super busy. So you can imagine they have so many things going on. Bringing them on board is just uh, purely selling the vision. (laughs) There are going to be different ways of collaboration with advisors. Majority of advisors, if they really believe in your company, they can join you on equity base. Uh, down the road, when you are in different stages, you know, Series A and there are going to be people and advisors. They, they would ask some, you know, consultation fee plus equity on the side. As you grow, you want to keep most of the stock just, uh, you know, to make sure for the next round. I'd say in the beginning, the only way is to truly make sure that those people see the vision and join the company.
1: What type of request were they asking for in terms of equity? Was it 0.01% of the company or was it more like 5% of the company?
0: We had huge range, I would say. 0.5 to 1, 2, 3%. We always try to discuss. In the beginning, probably you need to put aside a little bit more. I suggest to entrepreneurs to go to Founders Institute website. They have a template, standard template, that you can use it. It really depends on the advisors and the negotiations or discussions that the companies have with these people. But the average, I would say, starts from like 0.25 to 1%.
1: And how many meetings do you say you went to before you got that first investor that said, you know, I'm interested in writing a check? He may have not written a check, but that first validation of, yeah, I think you got something.
0: Oh my God, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question because I really, really don't know how many, but definitely over a hundred meetings. I'm, I'm not kidding. Over at least 500 emails and so many rejections. And even with our first investor, when she, she was evaluating the company, one thing that I was so excited is because she's a female, very successful female in, in Silicon Valley. I was really excited to, to make sure that she comes in, believes in, in, in Roy B. But even for, uh, at the last minute, I wasn't even sure it's going to happen. <laughs> so it, it was quite challenging.
1: For that first investor, what type of valuation do you give your company? Are you saying, you know, you're the investor, just tell me what you want? Or do you have an idea going into that meeting?
0: You know, it varies depending on the, the companies. Of course, We had a number in mind. Generally, that's not what is going to happen. The reality is always really different. But I think it's just the conversation between the investors, founders, find the right number. One thing I want to say is don't get stuck with the valuation because in the beginning, it's really hard to put a value on a company. Of course, if you can get a deal at no cap, it's it's amazing.
1: What do you mean by no cap?
0: means no valuation. So if you can raise on a safe uh, agreement without a valuation, that would be your best bet. But it's really hard to do it. But I'd say don't get stuck on it. Move forward because at the end of the day, the valuation you can get in the future is it's more important. Get your product out and it's quality over quantity. <laughs>
1: So you're saying that first pre-seed round may not be the best terms, but you got to do it anyway to get to that A round where you'd have more leverage. Is that kind of it?
0: Yes. Of course, if you have the ability to finance the, the company on tier Series A and get some revenue, that's the best case scenario. But it's not the case with most startups because it's very costly these days. You need to really think about your options between the offers that you have. Make the right decision with the best option. It's not going to be the best. And I'm sure uh, next rounds a lot of people are going to tell you, why did you make this decision? But be confident that the decision you make at that moment probably is the best for the company.
1: So 500 emails, 100 meetings face-to-face, how many months did you go without any money?
0: The best thing I can say is whatever you think, add another six months. And personally, I, I'd say two times my own bank account almost went to zero. <laughs> I've been really lucky to have amazing friends and supporters that they said, "Oh, okay, here is a little bit of money, move forward, um, you are on, a, on something really amazing, build it and everything is going to be okay. And it's exactly that's what happened one or two weeks after we we got investment, things move forward, it was very hard. But I say for one year, have savings and consider whatever you think, the expenses are going to be more and it's going to take more time than you think.
1: And then when you finally got that investment, one, how did it feel? Two, what was the team's feedback when they heard about it? And well, I kind of want you to say the number that it was.
0: July we announced and closed four point two million in our seed round and at that point it was super super exciting because we didn't even have the product. <laughs> so purely the investors invested in the company and uh, the vision, the skills of the team. I I remember, you know, I, I still can't feel the same and I every time I talk about it, I get so excited <laughs> because it's a significant amount of capital at the stage that we were. Everybody was so excited. I was stressed out, overwhelmed, super excited. I was also scared because with that much capital and the trust that investors are putting in you also comes a lot of responsibilities. And uh, But I'd say it was the best thing that happened. And every time I think about it, I really feel excited. The time that I sent a message to our team, called my co-founder, he, he was like almost jumping up and down. I was really, really amazing.
1: That sounds more like an A round than a pre-seed <laughs> round, where companies already have traction, already have customers. Who came up with that number? Did you propose it to the investors or did they propose it going, this is how much we think you need? What were the conversations like?
0: It's interesting because originally we were just thinking about raising one million for our seed round, and then we were thinking to go to like let's say five million in our Series A, which made sense at that point because we are a hardware company, so we need a lot more capital than just a software company. It's just that we were getting a lot of traction at that point. We we were featured on CNN. We partnered with Alibaba, you know, we were getting so many things, a lot of awards, traction. So the investors got so excited and said, hey, you need this capital anyways, and we have all the means to to provide this capital to you at this stage. Instead of wasting your time, you know, going for another round, why not have this deal together? And the terms worked out. Both sides were happy and that's how it happened.
1: Tell me about some of these awards you won and also how long is this money expected to last?
0: First, the awards. <laughs> we, we won so many of them. I can barely remember. But um, last week, for example, CNBC named Roy B one of the most promising startups in the world to watch in 2019, which is amazing because there are only 100 startups on that list around the world. And Roy is one of them. And again, the product is not even on the market. So you can imagine how exciting it is. We, we were named Fast Company's world-changing idea in 2019. We won a site award in Tech for Good. We were one of the winners nationwide. And many more. But also, it was very exciting. And what is the second question?
1: How long is this money going to last you? And actually, I'll just follow on with another question there. What are you going to do? In that time frame, what are the milestones that are expected to be made?
0: So um, the money would expect to last um, easily one year. And uh, the next milestones would be to make sure we have a good product in people's hands because everybody's so excited. It would be to focus on sales, marketing, making the product better, launching the US and Canada. And then we are launching also in, in UAE. So we want to expand in Middle East for sure, expand the countries. That would be the the plan so far.
1: Talk about that expansion plan because most companies I talk to, they want to go North America, then Europe, not UAE.
0: Well, for us, considering we are a language learning company, as you can imagine, there is a lot of demand in English language in certain regions and countries, and Middle East is definitely one of it. And in Middle East, they also really like Products that come out of Silicon Valley. So they got so excited. We are launching into stores. They're called Sharaf DG. They're like Best Buy in the US. They're very big and they want to launch Roby into, into stores and for their children to, to learn English language.
1: Roby itself has many components. It's a language learning robot, more or less. Tell us about the machine learning side the software that's going into it?
0: So it's a little bit complicated to, to explain it, but the idea is we want to change the education for children because it doesn't make sense anymore for everybody to sitting in a classroom learning the same thing when children have different sets of skills or, or interests. And that's how the machine learning kicks in. It takes about three to six months to learn about a child to start adjusting the content based on the child's progress and interest. To give you an example is, um, let's say the child likes cats as, as an animal, but they don't like math. So what we can do is gradually we can adjust the content to deliver more interesting subjects that has more cats in it to get them more excited to learn. Of course, it's a very complicated, a little bit difficult vision but gradually, we are, we are getting there. We, we have over 70,000 vocabularies already collected from the kids because the way the kids talk is so different than adults. We have over 50 categories and topics, over 500 lessons and stories. So we, we've done a lot of work and it's uh, ongoing.
1: How did you collect all this data?
0: Two different devices, first of all, because Royby wasn't ready to collect all this feedback. So a lot of it comes from the cell phone because the software was almost ready. So we we had uh, user groups to talk with children, to to gather all this data, the voice uh, of children. That's how we collected.
1: As your company product gets spread out throughout the world, you're going to collect all this user data. What's the plans for the data?
0: The plan is to to really focus on every individual child. So the, the, the data is being collected to understand the child's interests and abilities rather than anything else. But in the future, we, we would be able to understand their, their talking patterns, their talkativeness. A lot of children, like one out of 12 kids in the U.S. alone, they have speech delay. So we would be able to, to understand these and see how we can help these children to have more conversations based on statistics that talking with the robots increased and encouraged children in terms of learning by 10%. So we, we will use this data to understand how much impact we have on kids' learning and to be able to add more features.
1: And how is your time being altered in the company. I mean, those first six months a year was just fundraising, it sounds, and collecting data. Now you got money. Yes. So how does your schedule change?
0: Um, it is more changed on uh, talking, talking, and presenting company in so many places. I'd say I, I travel 80% of my time to, to present Royby to so many places. For example, two months ago, we went to, uh, to a conference in Nashville where we we met senators, legislators to to talk about Royby, what we are doing with AI, to tell them we are not scary. (laughs) Because we deal with data and privacy, a lot of times people get concerned. So we, we went to many conferences to show the product, to talk about it and educate people that what we want to do, how we are doing it, and that's, that's how my schedule changed. So it is now mainly focusing on sales and marketing.
1: Is there that fear of the data, the privacy, especially with your product for kids?
0: There is, um, especially that our product is a little bit complicated. It has a camera with facial detection. And the reason it has it is because kids don't want to play with their toys after like two or three weeks. They forget about it. So we want the Ruby robot to say hello to them, initial conversations, but that adds a little bit of privacy issue for people. We are COPPA compliant, we are COPPA certified, which is the Children's Privacy Act policy. We hired a law firm to help us on, so on GDPR. We're working really hard on that part. We also allow parents to fully control what to share through the app and of course through the device. So we've been really cautious and careful about it.
1: Is there going to be an adult version of this for people that have come from a different country that, you know, in their late thirties, forties that are interested in learning a new language?
0: I get that question a lot, hopefully in the future. And the reason is AI is not there yet. It's not mature enough to carry on longer conversations. So when it comes to adults, it may have a little bit issue communicating, especially carrying on longer conversations, but gradually that will change. It might be on our plan, but right now all of our focus is to really help children to change their future.
1: So why is it that having longer conversations more difficult?
0: Because um, a lot of things goes into it, um, still voice recognition is not at a place to even fully understand longer sentences. It can understand short versions. It's not like humans, you know. So it, it takes time, but with any technology, it's just a matter of time. I, I remember the first iPhone that I got, it wasn't doing much, uh, I would crash all the time, it didn't have a lot of programs or apps, but look at it right now, it's changed. Um, it has changed our lives and it's going to be the same thing with, with voice recognition as well.
1: So what advice would you give either a younger self or a new entrepreneur out there in Silicon Valley? What advice would you give as a woman CEO, founder of a successful company that's raised 4.2 million pre-seed to someone out there.
0: Thank you. I'd, I'd say really, really believe in, in what you are doing. You don't have to please everybody or, or make everyone happy. As long as you, know, you have the support of your team and the people that really are there to help you move forward and no, it's not going to be easy for sure. There are going to be a lot of ups and downs, and especially as, as a woman founder, I'd say it's a little bit more difficult because especially for us being in tech, it's mainly a male-dominated um, industry, but it's okay. It is changing. Don't take those uh, you know, as an excuse. <laughs> Move forward and believe you are going to, to make a difference and make a change.
1: And if anyone wants to find out more about you or get in touch with you or your company, What's the best way to go about it?
0: For the company, you can go to roybirobot.com. That is R-O-Y-B-I robot.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Elnasa Roth, And uh, whomever wants, please get in touch. I'd be more than happy to, to hop if I can and possibly through email.
1: Is there anyone else that you want to say thank you or reach out to at this moment while you have the chance?
0: First and foremost, I want to thank my family, especially my mom, because she's my role model. And then our amazing, amazing team. Without them, we we really couldn't make this happen. Our partners, investors, and also thanks to you, Sean, for giving us the opportunity to talk here, share my experience with everyone. Great. Thank you for listening to TIP.